0: Slate Spoiler Specials are brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler.
1: Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on Looper, the new science fiction film by Ryan Johnson and starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. And joining me from Slate, D.C. is Dan Coyce. Hey, Dan. Hi, Dana. You are an editor at Slate.
0: That's what I am.
1: And a long-term uh, spoiler companion of mine.
0: That's right. We've you, talked about many, many movies.
1: You swooped in. You were a Looper swooper. You swooped in and snagged this from this from everybody else weeks ago and said, we have to do Looper. Why were you so excited about spoiling Looper with me?
0: Uh, I was pretty excited for the movie, and it also seemed very spoilable in that I assumed it's a time travel thriller There will be lots of twists and turns and lots of surprises to talk about.
1: That's so true. This is actually one of those, and there hasn't been one in a while, maybe since Prometheus, that just begs to be spoiled. It needs to be spoiled more than it needs to be reviewed, because essentially the review is just going to be tiptoe through the eggshells of trying to not talk about all the twists that begin in moment two of the movie.
0: Right. I mean, are you so, in your review, are you not going to even say what the relationship is between Bruce Willis and... Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you have no, to. No, right? I think you I can say
1: that. That's in the trailers. That's on the posters. I think that yeah. I, I can say. Although I actually, because I avoid trailers and posters, sort of went in not knowing it. I assumed I, I, I thought that they were some sort of you know father-son surrogate situation, but I didn't realize that they actually played the same character. So let's explain the premise. So Looper is about. First of all, it's set in what year do they give us? I can't. 20, I couldn't read the note I scribbled in the dark. 2044. It's set
0: in twenty forty four in Kansas.
1: In twenty forty four in Kansas, and that time frame is the time frame in which Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character lives.
0: Right. And and as he explains in a voiceover right at the beginning of the movie in 2044, time travel hasn't been invented yet. But 30 years from then, it will have been. And so Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a looper. He's an assassin who is paid in silver bars to kill... People who are sent back in time from the future, people who need to be killed and whose bodies need to be disposed of, so you know it seems like every couple of days he goes out to a sugarcane field out uh, out outside of town um, he waits at a certain place with a gun, um, he waits for a certain moment that he's been told ahead of time a body will appear. a person appears right in front of him at the chosen moment he shoots that person takes silver off their body and disposes of the body in a big furnace somewhere.
1: Right. So what essentially happens is that the crime syndicates of the future are are cleaning up their bad guys by sending them back to the past where they can be disposed of. And he also I believe says in that in that opening voiceover that that's essentially the only use of time travel. We've discovered this incredible technology of time travel and it's basically only used to do away with bad guys.
0: Right. It was it, it was discovered and then banned instantly. So the only people who use it are criminals and the only thing they use it for is is assassinations.
1: Right. And so so the way Bruce Willis enters the story is that we soon find out that this this system of using these people called loopers to kill criminals from the future is, is...
0: So the way the system works is that it's a closed system for each assassin, for each looper. And at the end of your career, you close your loop, which is to say that at some point, um, the criminal underground of the future finds you 30 years from now and sends you back in time to yourself. You kill that person. People come through wearing a hood, so you don't know who they are. Does
1: every person always kill themselves, or isn't it possible that that you would, your future self, would be sent back randomly to a different looper since they're masked anyway when they're shot?
0: I guess that's possible, but then that other looper would get all the gold. So it seems like you, they send you back to you with as a way of telling you this: you're retired. You're retired. You're done. So when you shoot yourself, your older self. Um, you collect a huge payday for it, and then you're essentially done. You take your riches and you go off knowing that your career as an assassin is done and that 30 years from now in the future, your time on Earth will end because the crime syndicate will find you and send you back in time to be killed. Right. And then that way they close the loop. They, they eliminate knowledge of what's going on in the future, and they cut off your career in the past.
1: Right. And when you describe it that way, and I also thought this in the first 15-20 minutes of the movie, it's a really great science fiction premise. I love this idea, this existential idea that you kill your future self, and then you while away your days knowing that, you know, in 30 years, this horrible thing is going to happen to you.
0: Right. And there's this suggestion that, uh, that loopers tend to sort of with with that foreknowledge, they tend to live somewhat dissolute lives despite the riches that they have accumulated in what seems to be a rapidly deteriorating society. Um, and so we know that loopers are sent back their future selves to kill and, in fact, we see the results when one of them does not, when one of them fails to kill his own future self. He's uh, a guy named Seth played by Paul Dano um, and he – uh, he, in a moment of weakness, does not kill his future self. He recognizes him because of a song he's singing when he's sent back in time.
1: Oh, can I just he, jump in and say that was one of the yeah. first moments that I thought the movie started to not deliver on all the promise that it had. The moment that Paul Dano, who's, who's one of George and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's best friends, although we don't see why because he seems like a total sniveling idiot. But he can't kill his future self because his future self comes back unmasked, I think, right? No, 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 he's masked, but he's singing an old song, singing a song that reminds Paul Dano of his infancy and his his parents, right? And that would be such an incredible moment to capture on film, but it's only described in a story by Paul Dano to Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And that seemed to me like, as long as this movie's jumping around in time frames and showing us whatever it wants to show us, why wouldn't it show us that scene?
0: Uh, I think my hunch is that because they wanted to save that moment of showdown, between a person and their future self for when it actually matters more for the story, which is when, a few minutes later, when Joseph Gordon-Levitt goes to a sugarcane field, and at 1130, the moment the person is supposed to come through, something clearly has gone wrong. The person doesn't come through. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets a little fidgety. He looks at his watch. And then a few minutes later, Bruce Willis appears in the spot where the victim always appears, but he's not wearing a hood. And he looks right at Joseph Gordon-Levitt and he eventually escapes not because joseph gordon levitt doesn't try to shoot him but because he hesitates for just a moment
1: and it's bruce willis so what are you mean? to it's do? bruce
0: willis so bruce willis you know manages to get away he turns his back so that when joseph gordon levitt let's just call him joe when young joe shoots his gun at um the impact is taken by the gold bars attached to old joe's back and joe uh, is the character's
1: name as well isn't it yeah joe's the yeah. character's name yeah
0: Young Joe and old Joe, um, and then Old Joe flings a gold bar at him to knock him knock the gun out of his hand, and then he punches him and knocks him out and escapes um, and so then the the movie splits into multiple. Paths. One is that we're following the path of old Joe as he wanders through 2044 Kansas, whatever city it is they're in, trying to escape and to enact the plan he has in his head for how to alter his own future. Um, and one is young Joe who's trying to clean up the mess that he's made before the mob syndicate who employs him cleans it up themselves by killing him and old Joe. And then we also see several. Multiple futures and pasts we see, for example, the future that Joe would have had if he had successfully killed himself because in seeing that we're seeing the past that old Joe that Bruce Willis remembers the life that he lived for the thirty years since he stopped being a looper. Is that too complicated?
1: no, I get that yeah, that's exactly yeah. right you see you see everything that happened in between the successful killing of old Joe right right and the uh, and
0: And old Joe being captured 30 years later and sent back in time.
1: And we should also mention at this point that there's a change in the future, the 2074 future that old Joe lives in, right? A kind of political change or a change within the crime syndicate world, which is that this new terrifying crime lord has taken over called the Rainmaker, who is reputed to have all kinds of crazy telekinetic powers and to be able to essentially kill anyone he wants with his mind, right? Well, they don't
0: really tell us that. They simply tell us the effects that he has had, which is that he took over the five biggest cities. Uh, in the crime syndicate world in like a year and a half, which, as Joe says, that would take an army, but he did it all by himself, and no one knows how exactly. Later, we find out that it's by telekinesis, but we don't know that. Or we don't know that early on. Right. That's true. We, that's true. We do know that there is, has been this mutation um, that has caused people to become a certain percentage of the population, like 10%, to be to be born mildly telekinetic. That is, they can you know lift up a quarter and float it around in their hand a little bit. And as Joe says in his voiceover, we thought that this would be the new... The dawn of a new age of superheroes, but it turns out that that's as far as it went, and it just produced a bunch of douchebags who do tricks and bars to impress girls.
1: Right. I, another, I thought, wasted possibility of the movie both both a comic possibility that there could have been a lot of quarter floating douchebags kind of popping in and out of different scenes because that's a kind of a funny idea, and also that there could have been more of a sort of slow ramping up to what what the kind of a that telekinesis takes in the story later on.
0: Oh, I didn't want there to be a slow ramping up. I mean, so obviously... I think you you liked this movie better than I did. I I usually
1: start off by asking that, but I didn't this time. So I overall would have to say that I'm disappointed by Looper. I thought it had a couple of great scenes that we'll get to. And the idea, as I said, the the actual premise, the high concept premise is fantastic, but I I thought it unfolded in a disappointing way. No?
0: I really liked it. So I, I loved the way that it unfolded. I loved sort of the mishmash of genres and kinds of storytelling in it um i was really riveted the whole time and then and i love the way that the telekinesis itself was handled and you know i mean the whole point of the spoiler special in many ways is to spoil but this is a really complicated naughty movie and there are whole enormous plot points and issues i mean we've really only covered the first like 20 minutes of the movie at this point
1: yeah we just covered the setup so let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor and then we'll go back and really get into the meat of things The Spoiler Podcast, as always, is delighted to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of digital spoken audio information and entertainment. They offer more than 100,000 titles, which you can play on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And they have a special offer for Spoiler listeners. Get a 30-day free trial and one free book by signing up here, audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. You can choose a free book from any of their titles, but we always like to throw in a recommendation. And this week I wanted to recommend, being not a huge science fiction fantasy reader, the one fantasy book that I do remember being blown away by as a teenager, which is A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline L'Engle. Are you with me on this one, Dan? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The main character is this very insecure teenage girl, Meg, and Hope Davis voices her fabulously. So you can find that, again, at audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler. So back to Looper. So now that we've got the premise set up, what are some of these other Plot holes and plot spirals that you want to get into, because if you like this movie, then maybe you can you can win me over and tell me what it does with time travel that's that hasn't been done before on screen.
0: Oh, I don't think it really does anything with time travel that hasn't been done before on screen. I just really enjoy the things it does with time travel. I mean it has it has fun with. Sort of the age-old, many of the age-old questions of of time travel, right? Like, what happens if you meet your older self? Can you alter the past? What if you could go back in time and kill Hitler? Would you do it? What if Hitler was five years old and adorable and maybe he wouldn't turn into Hitler? Who knows? Okay, let's
1: get into the five-year-old Hitler because that's sort of, that's where the movie goes in its its second half. It's a completely unexpected direction that I thought really weakened the movie. So there starts to be this um, relationship between Joseph Gordon-Levitt and this young Farmer who lives on the other side of the sugarcane field, I guess she 's a farmer, right? Is she supposed to be actually farming the cane? We never see yeah. her doing it
0: I mean, Should we see her like like sending out a drone to lay pesticides, so I assume it 's her cane. And she is in charge of that farm, and that's her sustenance. But she takes care of her son, um, whose name's Sid. Uh, and uh, Sid is a very troubled little boy who, um, when he was littler, witnessed the death of um, his, who he believed to be his mother, but was actually his aunt, um, Emily Blunt's sister. Um, and he carries that with him, and it haunts him. Um, and he often refuses to believe that Emily Blunt is actually his mom. He chooses to believe that the that the woman he saw get killed, uh, was his real mom. Um, but you know, he's very smart. He's very, he's very forthcoming. He's good with machines and science. Um, and he immediately gloms on to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, to young Joe. When young Joe, young Joe comes to the farm, um, On the run from the mobsters and the police that the mobsters have at their disposal.
1: And his future um, self.
0: And his future self. And young Joe waits there because his future self is on a hunt. His future self is on a hunt back here in 2044 for the Rainmaker, the person who will eventually become the Rainmaker, this horrible mob boss of 30 years in the future. He's got three names – based on inside information he got from another ex-looper just before he was sent back in time. Uh, he's got the name of three, like, five-year-olds, basically, or six-year-olds, um, who are all born on the same day at the same hospital, and he knows that one of those three kids grows up to be the rainmaker, so he has to decide what to do. So while Joe, young Joe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is hiding out on this farm, old Joe is hiding in the city with people on his tail, and then going off in search of these kids— Uh, in order to, well, kill them. And so we do see a scene of... Old Joe finding one of the three kids who might grow up to be the Rainmaker. And we don't actually see him shoot the kid, but that's what happens. He shoots the kid. And then he goes after another one. And we know eventually he'll head out to the farm to go after Sid. Because does he his,
1: ever get that second kid? Or is the Gatman man that was waiting there, has that, has that guy already gotten rid of the kid or hidden the kid or something like that? Does he actually kill two children? No, he, he, does not,
0: he does not kill the second kid. He gets captured before he's, he has, he's able to.
1: See, once again, um, since the structure of this spoiler seems to be that you're laying out the plot very neatly and I'm jumping in and ragging on things, let me just jump <laughs> in and say that, that those two parallel plots for the last maybe half or so of the movie where we cut between essentially Bruce Willis looking for kids to kill who might become the rainmaker and then back to the to the cane farm where Joseph Gordon-Levitt is hanging out with Emily Blunt and, and Sid, the kid, is a, is a real weakness to me. I just feel like any time... Well, I guess it managed to work in Heat, right? In Michael Mann's Heats. But anytime you cast these two kind of giants together, not that Joseph Gordon-Levitt is a giant, but the idea of them being each other's past and future selves is really cool. And we want to see them interact. And we want to see what happens when you're face-to-face with your future self. That barely happens in the movie. And I found that really disappointing. There's this one great scene in a diner where the two just of them actually like meet heat. and talk. Just like Heat. It's the Heat, it's, it's heat syndrome. The two yep. giants in a diner. and. There's so many great gags in that scene in the diner. There's so many clever ideas about time travel. There's so many just f- funny jokes. And I really and it felt a little bit like Brick, Ryan Johnson's debut film, which it also stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a kind of high school gumshoe detective. And I thought Brick was really great and original and had this kind of noir tone that it just it's just nailed it perfectly. And that scene evoked that spirit to me. And then it disappeared from the movie for essentially the rest of the movie. The only other time that you see the two of them on screen together is much later, and it's when they're trying to kill each other. It's just a pure action scene, and there's not really any verbal interaction at all.
0: Uh, I mean, I did. I don't know that I would have wanted a whole movie of them cracking jokes across the table from each other at a diner about how one is the older version of the other one.
1: Not always cracking jokes at a diner, but I just felt like the two of them, once they were in the same temporal universe, needed to interact a little bit more. I was really bored by the scenes of, of Bruce Willis off doing his thing. And, well, OK, go on, go on, go on with your summary and then I'll jump in on something else that bothered Dana, me.
0: Dana, it sounds to me like you wanted this to be like my dinner with Andre. <laughs> my dinner with me. I don't think that's a satisfactory solution to the problem of this movie. I wanted this movie to uh, to go after some of these big questions. And I was delighted when it turned out that there's this crazy big idea behind it of like, well, w- would you kill baby Hitler if you ran across baby Hitler? And so it it becomes apparent in a pretty amazing scene, actually, I thought, um, that that Sid, Emily Blunt's son, is in fact – the boy who will grow up to be the Rainmaker. And it turns out that the way that he's going to become the Rainmaker is that he's the next stage in this evolution of telekinesis, where everyone else who has telekinesis, including Emily Blunt's character, is like pretty good at it, and maybe they can like wiggle a quarter around or make a Zippo flip open and closed. He has amazing powers, uh, and, and can't even really control them. He's too young to control them. And so he kills a cop who has been coming after them and put them all in danger. Um, And uh, he kills him by lifting him up in the air and basically making him explode. And he does this in a rage, a horrible rage. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt realizes, although I think it it had – He'd had his suspicions before then, he realizes that this is the future Rainmaker, that this is the man who will eventually turn the world into a much more horrible place and ruin his future life, ruin Bruce Willis's life, future Joe's wife life, kill that man's wife, um, and and ruin everything. And so then he is faced with a decision. What's he going to do? Is he going to kill Baby Hitler? Or is he going to protect Baby Hitler because because he still feels he's salvageable, or he just can't bring himself to do it, or he has feelings for Emily Blunt.
1: right? Um, And in spite of all my ragging, I actually think that that is a very cool kind of moral twist in plot development. The idea that it's kind of becomes a nature nurture question, right? Is there any way to keep Sid from becoming the Rainmaker? Is there any possibility that he can be loved into health by Emily Blunt, essentially?
0: Well, and so here's the question. So what did you like the ending? Or did you not like the ending?
1: No, I really didn't like the ending. Okay, let's start. What do you consider the ending? Let's, let's spoil like the last 10 minutes or so of the movie when Bruce Willis does meet up with the, uh, the farm gang again.
0: Sure. So the final climax is that Bruce Willis makes it out to the farm. He knows that Sid is the future Rainmaker. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has made the decision to protect Sid and to protect Emily Blunt. Um, but Joseph Gordon-Levitt gets, I mean, he, Bruce Willis gets past him basically. And so there's a showdown in a cut down cane field. And... For one moment, Sid begins to use his powers on—he begins freaking out and becoming terrified and is about to use his powers on Bruce Willis and maybe everyone, maybe everything around him. Um, but Emily Blunt talks him down, and in that moment, they connect, and he accepts that she's really his mother, and he clings to her in a very in a very loving and touching fashion, I thought. Joseph Gordon-Levitt drives up. Um, he— has a gun that is not accurate from long distance. And he sees Bruce Willis stalking the boy and Emily Blunt. He's about to shoot her to get her out of the way so he can shoot Sid. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt sees the future. He sees what will happen to Sid if this happens. He sees a boy who already saw one mother killed before his eyes. Granted, he did it in a moment of terror and telekinesis. He's about to see another mother get killed before his eyes. He's about to go off and live on his own. Uh, You know, There's a shot of him riding the rails with his face covered in blood, miserable and alone. And he knows that that is the boy who's going to turn into the Rainmaker, the boy who endured those traumas. And he also knows that if he can avert those traumas, if he can avert Emily Blunt getting killed, if he can maybe give Sid a life where he's brought up in a loving home the way joseph gordon levitt's character young joe wasn't maybe he can avoid that future maybe he doesn't turn into the rainmaker maybe things turn different but he can't kill bruce willis he's too far away and so in a split second decision he turns the gun on himself and he shoots himself and kills himself instantly and bruce willis winks out of existence and that's it they're gone and We get the sense, at least from the last second of the movie, uh, with the boy sleeping peacefully in a bed and the screen fading out to white, that maybe he doesn't turn into the Rainmaker. Maybe the entire future of the world has been altered, and maybe it doesn't become as shitty a place as it did in the world of old Joe.
1: Right. So he sacrifices himself, essentially, for the good of, of humanity and the future.
0: Right. And of Emily Blunt and of... Sid And, I mean, it's hard to tell if he's really thinking about the future or humanity or if he's just thinking about this woman who he likes and this boy who he sees himself in. So why didn't you like it? It sounds awesome to me when I say it out loud.
1: Yeah, actually, our producer is nodding along and giving a thumbs up like that sounds completely <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I'm outvoted by everyone in the room. Well, it's not that I didn't like the the, the sacrificial ending. It's just that it seemed to, in some ways to raise questions about things that had come earlier and to make the time travel loops not make sense. As you yourself pointed out in, in an earlier conversation about the movie, in that case, why not just kill Paul Dano, the present Paul Dano, back when he has his looper problem at the beginning, right? The whole Paul Dano situation is essentially set up just to presage what's going to happen later and to give us a sense of what happens if you don't kill your future self and how bad it is for you, right? But the the enforcers of, you know, the, the, the looper system essentially say, we can't just kill young Paul Dano because that would change the future. It would confuse all kinds of, you know, happenstances that happen later in the development of his life. It would essentially affect too many things for us to kill young Paul Dano. So instead, we'll just mutilate him horribly, Right. Right. And so, why- and so
0: no, I don't know why if Joseph Gordon-Levitt can just kill himself and Bruce Willis winks out of existence, I don't know why they couldn't just call, kill Paul Dano and have him wink out of existence. Maybe it's because, in fact, by doing that to himself, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has changed the future in all kinds of crazy, unforeseeable ways. And as those gangsters may have been worried about if they kill Paul Dano... Maybe they wink out of existence too. Maybe their lives don't end up the same way that they wanted them to wind up. Maybe the future gets completely fucked up and loopers never happen, as in fact is potentially the case uh, with with young Joe and old Joe dying simultaneously. But no, it's not like 100% totally clear, and I do think that that's a big hole. But nevertheless, I was not thinking about that at the moment that it happened. While I was watching this movie, I was just thinking that is a totally unexpected and amazing – and fascinating ending and a solution to this puzzle that ryan johnson has created in the end i think that's why i like this movie so much it's not really a thriller although it has thrilling moments it's really a puzzle and time travel stories i think when they work best are puzzles where you're working out the way that the future affects the past and the past affects the future and you set up this riddle that the the audience and the hero have to solve, and they're most satisfying when they solve them at the same time. Back to the Future is a really different movie than that, but it does the same job. It creates this riddle about what Marty McFly has to do, and there's a great deal of pleasure for me in seeing the way that riddle gets solved, and that's what I really liked about Looper, too.
1: This movie had a big identification problem for me. It didn't so much have to do with the the cognitive puzzle of time travel as how can we keep identifying and caring about these characters, right? The very, very first thing you see Young Joe doing is it's... <laughs> blowing people away at close range while they're wearing execution-style masks, kneeling on tarps in the middle of a cane field, right? I mean, it essentially looks like he's an enforcer. He's a torturer. And even though he is tortured about it as well, it's just it, it would the movie would have to do a lot of work to get us to, to care about his character and root for him. And Bruce Willis, same thing, right? Even after the diner scene, in which in addition to kind of nattering about time travel and talking about how he's not going to get into it because he doesn't want to start diagramming it with straws on the table, I love that line, Bruce Willis also kind of gives this very... Uh, humanistic speech to his younger self, kind of saying, basically kind of saying, like, you're a nihilist asshole and you've got to pull yourself out of it and start caring about something, right? And one day you're going to meet a woman who's going to love you and sort of setting up, you know, here are some things in life to value. And then the next time we see Bruce Willis, he's running around shooting five-year-olds. Granted, he's not happy about it, right? But I just didn't feel like <laughs> there was a lot of... Uh, I didn't feel like there was much moral weight to the universe of this movie. Also, it's extremely violent in a way that I found really, really hard to take. I mean, it's that kind of violence that are – it's things like guys in hoods kneeling on tarps and being shot at close range. There's a lot of torture-type situations and scenes where strong men, including Jeff Daniels, who plays a strongman in, in 2044, sort of the, the leader of the looper ring, just – orders people to be kind of horribly tortured in front of him. So it's that kind of movie that it's a thriller in the sense that it has you anxiously on edge about what horrible thing is going to happen to someone's body next. But I didn't feel like there was a lot of well-paced action.
0: Uh, I mean, I guess the moral weight of it didn't bother me because I understood that this is the universe that we're living in. This is not a universe where that many moral people (laughs) exist. And, uh, and so...
1: But shouldn't the the protagonists of the movie that try to get us out of this universe? I mean, obviously it's a dark, nihilistic, dystopian universe. That's the point of it. I'm not saying, like, why isn't everybody like in a Teletubbies episode or something? But these this character, this these two characters or one character, Young Joe and Old Joe, are supposed to be the people that are going to get us through this and get us out of it somehow. And I guess I just felt like, fine, it can be their job to be these nihilistic executioners, but then they've got to have a crisis of conscience about it or, or talk about it or something. This is just me being my dinner with me again i guess but
0: uh but i mean i guess what we're meant to feel about young joe is that what we're we're not rooting for young joe as he is we're rooting for young joe to change right we're rooting for him to turn into old joe but even better we're rooting for him to learn these things that old joe learned much later in life you know the the so the parallel path we see the 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 future we see that old Joe takes at the very beginning of the movie when you see how his life would have been if he'd just killed himself when his loop was closed. And then he goes off to Shanghai and he spends his silver and he runs out of money early and he becomes an enforcer and a hitman for the real and a for drug like addict. The Shanghai mob and a drug addict. And only 25 years later does he meet a woman who, as he says, saves his life, who gets him off of the drugs and who – makes him repent the things that he's done and turns him into a different person. And so what I felt like we're rooting for in this movie is for young Joe to achieve that, but now. And he does. He does. He gets off drugs. He finds purpose in his life. He makes a sacrifice. He changes himself. And you don't think that that is like at least somewhat redeeming?
1: Yeah, I guess we are supposed to feel that, that young Joe is redeemed by the end. I just I, – I, I, it never came out in the dialogue. It never really came out in the scene with Emily Blunt. I mean, I guess it was just – it's just something that we're supposed to know at the moment he sacrifices himself at the end. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt wouldn't be the first person you would think of to cast as a young Bruce Willis, right? They're, they're very different types. They're certainly very different movie types in terms of the kind of careers they've had. But do you think they work as a contiguous loop of one person?
0: I've seen worse fake young versions of old actors. Like, I thought it worked pretty well. They, so they – put apparently they put some prosthetics on him. They give yeah, him he's some, got
1: a fake nose, you can tell that.
0: Right. They give him some thicker eyebrows than Joseph Gordon Levitt actually has. And he doesn't really look like Bruce Willis in Moonlighting, but he doesn't look enough not like him for it to not be for me to not buy it. And I do think that Joseph Gordon Levitt did a really good job of sort of changing his physicality to match Bruce Willis's, because it's obvious that Bruce Willis is not going to be changing his physicality on screen anytime soon.
1: His voice, also, there are some moments when when Gordon Levitt is essentially doing a Bruce Willis impersonation. That kind of laconic side of mouth, kind of you know, the right. kind of slurred tough guy talk. And I thought he did right. a great job with that. I, I mean, I, I love both actors, and I thought they were terrific. I just wish they'd had more time together. All right. Well, Dan, we've gone way over because there's so much to talk about. But you're starting to convince me now. I think that if, if people are into it and if they can take the graphic violence and they're interested in time travel loops and these two actors, they should, they should check out Looper.
0: I'm going to send myself 30 years back in time to show this movie to seven-year-old me and blow his mind.
1: <laughs> the future me is going to come back and when you're like 75 years old, you're going to agree that this movie sucked. <laughs> All right, Dan, come back and spoil another movie soon, please. Thanks, Dana. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today
0: to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
0: No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry.